This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson with Tim O'Malley and Tim Priester. The coaching carousel continues to turn at Notre Dame. Uh, last week, a reporter Matt Bayless will be Notre Dame's new strength and conditioning coach. And on top of that, reported that uh, Dell Alexander, receivers coach slash tight ends coach at Arizona State, uh, had interviewed for a position. As of Saturday night, at least, I had not had confirmation that an offer had been extended. And then Clark Lee will be Notre Dame's new linebackers coach. So I guess let's start with those. Of those three guys, um, who maybe intrigues you the most? Um, who do you think might be uh, maybe the most interesting fit for Brian Kelly's next staff? I like the fact that they hired a, a wide receiver coach, considering Chip Long's background as a tight ends coach in the past and now as the offensive coordinator. I mean, that's got to be... Something the tight ends love. The offensive coordinator is also your position coach. It's a natural fit that he would also just coach the tight ends. Um, I think it's probably great for staff cohesion that it is long. And then assuming Alexander, rather than having elevating Quinn, who has that offensive line background along with... It's hard to have offensive line background and be in charge of anything where Harry Heastand is still there. And uh, that's not a knock against either one of them. It's just that that's Harry Heastand's unit. And I don't think many people... um, overstepped their bounds. I know Mike Sanford once said, he was our first interview with him, you know, as offensive coordinator, Mike, coach, are you going to, do you like have your hands in, in everything? Are you starting out with the quarterbacks? He said, I believe you plow your old field, and I don't think I'm going to go down to Coach Heastan's area and try to plow that field right now. So for the offensive coordinator to say that half in jest, I think this just is a good staff dynamic. I think the most interesting is Matt Bayless and, and probably potentially certainly the most influential um, you know, his background with, with Urban Meyer at Florida and Utah, he's a guy that's pretty fairly well-traveled, not in a negative way. He's just been, he was in Mississippi State, so he's in the SEC. And, you know, Mississippi State can physically can stand up to just about anybody in the SEC. So I think he has the greatest impact. Uh, if Delvon Alexander ends up coming on <laughs> staff, I think that's important because Jeff Quinn is then not in that mix, and we've talked about the chemi- potential chemistry issues with him on the staff. Um, we've heard nothing but good things about Clark Lee. Probably the most uh, controversial, I guess you would say, would be a 24-year-old, soon-to-be 25-year-old Tommy Reese in the mix um, You know, as the quarterback's coach. But Matt Bayless is the one that has – potentially the greatest influence on this program. Yeah, and I, Bayless, the connections to Urban Meyer at Utah and Florida, I think is good. You know, the SEC stuff with uh, Dan Mullen is is, is good. Um, I'm not sure if I totally get the move to Connecticut. I agree with you there. I, um, yeah. But you he, was, he, was at, he was at Virginia with Bob Diaco, so maybe they just really hit it off. Um, and I think that at Mississippi State he was football only, whereas at Connecticut he was everything. Um, that's probably so. Maybe that's oh, okay. maybe that was the promotion. Right. But uh, I texted Tyler Stockton a little bit last week uh, when we were breaking this, just to you know get his opinion because he was a GA for Diaco at Connecticut and said he absolutely loved the guy. Uh, and if you watch some of the reporting 
uh, that had been done on Bayless at Connecticut. Very well regarded. Um, now every new strength and conditioning coach is very well regarded as high energy and really got us motivated and all that. But there is some of the effect that a change of messenger can really enhance the message, even if the message isn't that different. So I think Notre Dame will benefit from that. Uh, I'm Dell Alexander. He's a USC grad, played there. Uh, has a lot of Pac-12 experience, so I think recruiting on the West Coast is a positive there. Uh, I talked to somebody who's coached with him, said that he would be a good fit for Notre Dame because he can sort of manage all the different personalities there at Notre Dame. <laughs> I asked about his recruiting skills, said he was a good recruiter, but not like an insane bulldog on the trail either. So um, I think you're getting quality recruiter, but not um, <coughs> you know not necessarily like Tony Alford Part Two. But they need. They need help on the West Coast because they they lost two recruiters out there. I think they you know if you have two coming in with Alexander and Brian Polian, that's a positive. But uh, that's a that's an area of the country where I think Notre Dame has you know maybe taken a little bit of a step back in recruiting over the last couple of cycles. I mean they do have Aaron Banks coming in in this class, um, Elijah Hicks as well. But it's a spot where I think they could, they could be doing a little bit better. Uh, and I think that uh, an Alexander Polian combination maybe would help you get there. I know a lot of people sometimes, you know, when Notre Dame invests a lot in California and then comes up short, it's like, well, why are you spending all the time out there? You have to. There's just too much talent out there, and there's plenty of talent yeah. to go around for the West Coast teams and, and across the country. So, um, yeah, it's it's very important that they remain solid and stable in that area of the country. Too much talent, and too much of it is at good academic high schools, which I think yeah, is another yeah, part of it point. that you have to factor into it. Where right. You're going into places where people are somewhat predisposed to give Notre Dame a look and make it at Notre Dame when they get here. So I, I think those two things are important. Pete, you kind of open this can of worms with the new strength and conditioning coach is always going to be an upgrade no matter what, whether he is or not, it's yeah. always the, the new guy in. <coughs> so we're in for three months of best shape of their lives and all that, obviously, oh, yeah. in the offseason. But where do you want to see, where do you think tangibly the most important impact can be made? Because fourth quarter, everyone, you know, it was a bad fourth quarter for Notre Dame last year, but it wasn't like that the year before. And it was oh. the same strength and conditioning coach. So for <coughs> me, it's November. Because no one says we're training for the opener when they're yeah. training hard in, in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, the fourth quarter is a big part of it. November is a big part of it. I mean, I I just think that the attitude in the weight room had really suffered over the last year or so. I mean, I, I keep going back to something that Drew Tranquil said unprompted to me after the Echoes Award show, and I said, you know, okay, so you're a captain now. What do what the next couple of months have to look like? And he's like, the weight room, the weight room, the weight room. The weight room has to be a competitive environment again. Guys can't come in and just like, oh, I just got to check this off the box of my day and get back to playing PlayStation. Like, it has to be something that guys love to do, and I think that had just sort of gone stale. So I, I that's where I think even if the message is similar, the fact that the messenger has changed will actually be a real difference. You just made so many people mad listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean... How can that? It's really hard for me to comprehend that a football team, the highlight of the day is not going to the weight room. I, I don't know how that's, I don't understand how that's possible. But for me, and, I, and certainly November is going to be very telling. When I watch a football game, I look at the point of attack, and that's where I think, you know, early in the season we'll be able to say, okay, is this offensive line, is this defensive line adjusting? 
the point of attack. That's where we're going to see it first. Yeah, I, I think all those things are part of it. We should touch on Tommy Reese uh, since we're on yeah, the We've got a question in the, in, the, in the second segment with him. But, I mean, that that is the most controversial of, of the picks, right? A lot of it ha- – Tim and I were talking about this during the basketball game the other day. If if his name was Brady Quinn, <laughs> yeah, it it would probably be universally accepted uh, exactly. because Brady Quinn was a great quarterback and with a great personality, and everybody loves Brady Quinn. But Tommy Reese was not a good athlete. They're tired of hearing his record as a as a starting quarterback. He won a lot of games. He, he won a lot of games, <laughs> but he lost mistaken. the big ones, and he couldn't do it with his feet, and so therefore. He's a bad choice. Now, I also realize that people saying are saying he's a bad choice because he's 24 and he has very little background. But, look, the, the main thing is who can relate to the quarterbacks, and I know people don't want to hear this, but who has the best relationship and best mix with Brian Kelly? Tommy Reese is one of the smartest quarterbacks to ever play at Notre Dame. Um, not very talented in terms of just athleticism, but... I would like to try to be, I guess my point is, I'm being open-minded about this because the bottom line is who can bring out the best in young quarterbacks? And Notre Dame's quarterbacks are established for, if Djokovic ends up coming in at Notre Dame, Notre Dame's quarterbacks were established for how many years? Right. I mean, more than, half a, more than half a decade coming up. So I'm open-minded about it. I realize he doesn't have a ton of experience, but that doesn't mean that he can't be beneficial to Notre Dame. In what outside of Alabama, what program is going to be able to have a home run hire for the tenth assistant coach, which is not even mandated yet? Like there is no tenth assistant coach. So you're asking someone to come in on faith about some uh, a legislative issue being voted through and approved and there will be a tenth assistant coach and we all fully expect that to happen. But still I don't see a lot of people tripping over themselves to take a position that doesn't even exist yet. And, I, and on, But on top of that, I still think Tommy Reese, because of the nature of coaching quarterbacks under Brian Kelly, where Brian Kelly is actually the quarterback's coach, is a positive. Uh, I do, And it, one thing that when this was sort of bubbling around, uh, one of our old colleagues, Matt Fortuna, tweeted this out where uh, one of Notre Dame's quarterbacks reached out to him and said, you know what, Tommy Reese was the only quarterback in Brian Kelly's seven years that understood Brian Kelly. The only one. That's the most important thing. Yes. In this situation, that is the most important thing. And people hate Brian Kelly, and so (laughs) naturally, you know, they don't, they they want somebody that Brian Kelly doesn't know, but has all these, all the, well, I think your point about the 10th coach is not even existing. Yeah, hello. It's really, really valid and important here. It's crucial that 54 other Power 5 teams are using the 10th coach as a new special teams coordinator that they didn't used to have, where Notre Dame doubled down and went for a home run hire at special teams coordinator, which everyone listening and everyone not listening should care more about than the quarterback's coach at Notre Dame, is that they have Brian Pullian as a special teams coordinator instead of (laughs) Divvying up responsibility across the staff and hoping everything works out fine on Saturday because this that is an upgrade immediately that they are focusing on it. And number two, I will play devil's advocate. I like the Tommy Reese hire. I think he's someday going to be a great coach. He might be a great quarterbacks coach now. The old quarterbacks coach was Mike Sanford, and that is a step down. Greatest, so looking con- at that greatest concern yep. by far is his ability to recruit. Sure, I, mean, I, I you, we can, nobody can deny that. And it was that, Mike Sanford. That, it was Mike right, Sanford in right. his position. Recruit, re, yeah, I mean, as far as background and recruiting-wise, it's a step back there. But we'll address that further in, in segment two. I did want to talk about um, 
the U.S. Army All-American Bowl. Notre Dame had limited uh, prospects there or commitments. Josh Lug, the offensive tackle, and Cole Komet, the tight end. Um, I really, really like Lug. I mean, how many times when we talk about offensive linemen in balance and staying on your feet, that guy is never out of balance. You know, we talk about Hainsey, and Hainsey is a good prospect. Hainsey is out of balance and flopping around the field and on the, on the ground a lot. Lug doesn't do that. I mean, even when he, even when somebody beats him with their initial move, his recovery is outstanding. He's got a real solid punch, and he stays in balance, and he stays on his feet. I really like the kid. Yeah, I mean, him and Cole Komet, those are, they only had two commitments down there. Those are two really good ones, two of the best guys in the class. Um, I thought Komet looks like he's come he a million miles yeah. from yeah. what we saw at Irish Invasion last summer. Um, he looks like a tight end now, and he looked like a receiver before. Yeah, I, so I, I totally agree with that. Um, those are two good guys. They missed out on the two guys that did commit. Jameer Calvin ended up going to Oregon State. Foster Serrell committed to Stanford. Neither of the, well, Calvin was a surprise. Serrell was not. Uh, Oliver Martin, they're still in it with him. Jake was down there. He felt like sort of Notre Dame or Iowa were the two buzz schools there. Uh, and then Greg Robinson, technically they're in it, but not really. Um, he's the a DB prospect from California. Uh, I, I don't expect that to really go yeah, anywhere. I, 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 there were, it was so difficult to ascertain anything about Oliver Martin during the game. They didn't target him. Um, you know, he was he was almost always in the the middle of a of a trips. Uh, they didn't. They, they threw the ball to him early. He had no chance. He made a diving attempt. Had no chance. He was on all. He was on the special team. So there's versatility. But Jake spoke highly of him during the week, right? From what from yeah, what Oliver, saw Mar- him. Oliver Martin had a good week, and Josh Lug had a really good week. Yeah. Um, that take the game out of it. Um, so it's it was interesting because on on scout he's rated like high teens at his position tackles, um, and on a couple of their networks. I think he's in the 30s, um, and but NLS from those two networks were like, "Whoa, wait, okay, we've got him way yeah. too low." So, well, he's made great. I mean, he's made great strides yeah. since his junior year, but I, I like him. I like him yeah. a lot. So that's a good add to the. We'll get into recruiting more in segment two. Um, before we jump into hoops, picks for tonight. I hard, it's hard to pick against Alabama. I do think it'll be a close game. You know, I heard someone um, on the radio, a handicapper, say that before the Final Four. They did all possible matchups, and Alabama-Clemson, it was Alabama minus 10.5. And, and then after the Final Four, it went down to 6.5, and, yeah. and they think there's a little bit of a reaction there. Mm. So I would go Alabama if you, uh, as long as you don't put my money on it. <laughs> I don't pick against Nick Saban, and I don't pick against Urban Meyer, which cost me in Ohio State's last game uh, since they were hammered. But uh, the potential for a really, really good game oh, is good game, here. Right? There's no yeah. doubt about it. I'm not underestimating Clemson, and I think the biggest thing here is, or one of the biggest things is, there is no fear factor for Clemson. They know they can play with them. I don't think it's going to be a 45-40 game. I think it's going to be much lower scoring than it last really year's wasn't. game. I know it was last year. It really wasn't, though. There was the, I mean, the, the kick return touchdown, the onside kick yeah. together. There's def- you know, the, yeah. it, Clemson scored late. It, it was but that's more part, of that is part point. of it. That's yes, part of it. Explosive sure football teams that can hurt you in sure. a lot of ways, but... Uh, I think it's going to be a really good. I'm hoping it's going to be a really good game um, because we. I mean, we did have some duds of the the, the major bowls again. College fo- competitive athletics is not played for the sole sake of entertainment of the fans. 
Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's you so certainly hard. like to see. You certainly like to see uh, closer games, and I think tonight will be. But how do you? What do you think, Pete? Am I, I, do you pick I, against Alabama? No, I would never pick against <laughs> yeah. Alabama. So yeah, you looked I, like you had a bombshell coming. But no, no, <laughs> I'm definitely going. Yeah, Alabama. I, I, I just hope that it's a good game. Like if it's if it's half as good as it was last year, yeah, I'll I will take it uh, as the, the final game of the college football right. season. Um, college hoops. Noreen continues, like, I think since our last podcast, they've won twice, both late home wins against Louisville and Clemson. Uh, I was not at Louisville, but I was at Clemson. I guess I, I feel like you watch Notre Dame, you feel like they're a good team. I don't know if I feel much different about them, even after the last two games, that they could brush with being a great team. But I think being a good team is is really impressive. Well, I think they're a good team that knows how to win, So, as opposed to, in the past, they're a good team that you wondered if they would ever get out of the first round of the NCAA tournament when you get there. I know that's not the most important thing for college basketball coaches and players and diehard fans, of which there are five in America for college basketball until March, but this is a team that you see Farrell, Colson, and Vastoria and think, when this team's in the NCAA tournament, no one wants to play Notre Dame. And that's great to have as a fan, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to play Notre Dame in the second round of an NCAA tournament. If you're a three seed and they're a six, you don't want any part of Notre Dame because of their recent pedigree. And these guys are used to winning. They expect to win. And there's a question down here that's going to talk about the culture. I mean, their culture is they absolutely expect to win all of these games. I was shocked they dropped both Villanova and Purdue in kind of a... The word, I guess, is choking kind of way. They had double-digit leads in both games. Yeah, it's surprising they lost both that way with their culture. But they and have then, a tendency to do that that, that time of year. December, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, they, they they just do. They're a very resourceful basketball team. They're further along than the previous two teams at this stage because they do know how to win. They're deeper. I mean, they are legitimately deeper than they have been. Um, Mike Bray did some interior decorating at halftime because they came out a little bit flat. I mean, Matt Farrell was due to come out and not be tremendous right from the beginning, and he was sloppy in the first half. That morning, you and I talked about it. We were trying to pick the game score, and we saw the point spread was five. We thought, oh, boy, yeah. that's an easy one for everyone to think. Yeah. But then as soon as that game started, well, you thought, well that's why. That's- Brad, Brad Brunel's <laughs> a good basketball yeah. coach, and they lost a tough one in overtime to North Carolina a couple days earlier. But... Uh, you know, for me, the main thing with is, and you're right, so many times, Tim, I mean, going back to the Digger Phelps years, they couldn't get out of the first game. Uh, it's getting to the second weekend. It's getting yeah. to the Sweet 16, and then at that point, it's kind of gravy. But, um, you know, they're going to get, there's still going to be times where they're not going to have enough up front. You'd like to see another post presence besides uh, Bonzi Colson, but he's so good that you can probably get away with just that one. It's just rebounding. I'd like to see Gebbin. Who's who's come a million miles, right? He's doing oh, way yeah, better yeah. than we thought, but I'd like to see him move his feet to get himself in position for rebounds that he doesn't get. And then the notion that that VJ Beecham should be benched because he didn't play well for a couple good games, he put that notion to rest. And Mike Bray doesn't do that; he'll never do that. He's going to stick with the guys that, that got them there, and he hit six out of ten three pointers, three in each half. I so. think the Jaron Grant team. Clearly the best of the three. Not even close. They were one of the four best teams in America. Not just had a good run. I think this year's team can be better than last year's team over the course of the season. The key is to make that Right, I'm not, I'm not saying that this team is more talented than two years ago. I'm saying at this stage of the season, they're, 
in, in the mindset and the ability to win and the, the knowledge that you're going to win is greater. I, I disagree. I think those will be the third best of the three teams I because think I think they lack anything in the fr- they lack enough in the front court. Whereas last year, I didn't feel like they they That's were they point. would get hit by a matchup problem. I could see them running into a team in the turn. Like let's say Notre Dame's at five, mm-hmm. and they run into a twelve with uh, a couple skilled big men. Notre Dame is in trouble right away. Um, whereas last year, they could sort of plug any hole you would bring up with matchups. This year, this team feels like, well, they have a lot of good things going on the perimeter. What they have in the post when they were down 10 nothing to Clemson um, because they couldn't stop anything in the paint. 12 layups. Um, yeah, I mean, that's there. there's an issue there. Now, they maybe they can get that worked out in some different ways and evolve a little bit. But but I do think this team is going to have to to move forward in some different ways um, to to get out of the first weekend probably. And we all think they're going one and two on this road trip, right? Yeah, I'm hoping yeah, they. But Florida, I'm hoping no, it is. They, it's, it's, they go it's one the and two. Best team: it's Florida State, Miami, Virginia. <laughs> it's Tech. Miami, yeah. Virginia Tech, yeah, Florida State. In that and Florida order. State's in the top ten. For <laughs> yeah. Florida attention. State is beating everybody, and they're deep and they're long. And Pete, I hear what you, I hear what you're saying. I think. I think Mike Bray's using zone defense more than he has in the past to help compensate for mm-hmm. some of the issues underneath. But there's no doubt that if they face a big front line early in the tournament, they're in trouble. If they don't, yeah, you know, I mean, fine. that's kind of that's kind of the luck of the draw. So I, I love I love the mindset of all of this, and you know, hey, Vastori against Pittsburgh when uh, he he was saddled with four fouls and and T.J. Gibbs is sparking an 11-0 run to put Notre Dame up by eight, and then he puts Vastori, and it's like, damn, can he just leave Gibbs in? But but Bray's smarter than we are and and has more patience and understands that you go with the, the guys that are veterans, and Vastori's hit two big ones in the last, the last two games. Yeah, no question. All right, well, that's it for segment one on Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got a bunch of questions from readers, so all that next in segment two. Segment two of Irish Illustrate Insider is the burning up the board segment, number two. And we start with Grapey. Mike Elko appears to be a great defensive mind, but are you surprised Notre Dame didn't get a defensive coordinator who specializes in the 3-4 base on our ability to, or inability really, to attract defensive linemen? No. I mean, that you they play sort of three-man fronts and four-man fronts, and I, I do think that Unless Notre Dame was going to go back to Bob Diaco's scheme of two-gap, three-four, where the defensive linemen essentially are playing the role of offensive linemen, and they're just like holding their ground, that whether you're getting a specialist in what Stanford's more three-four, where that's a more of attacking one-gap scheme, or you're just doing a four-three, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. Um, I don't think you need somebody who specializes in one or the other, unless you're going to go extreme to the three-four end, which Brian Kelly said he doesn't want to do. He wants to do multiple stuff. And if you want to look at it in a myopic view, uh, they have personnel for four three line right now because that's what's in there, that's and they, how need, they, and they need to win. That's how they've recruited to this point, and they need to win. So I don't know. I, I think it's important that a, that he can be multiple, and I, that's that's what I, it yeah. is these I days. I mean, I th- I think the whole, especially when you're talking about Mike, Mike Elko, the whole three four four three front. I mean, that's so overrated. This. If you watch their film, they are so multiple 
um, you know, six guys up front, three up, three down. There's a, a wide variety of what they do on the front end and the back end. I think that's way overrated. He's the right guy because, A, of the multiplicity, and, B, getting more out of less. He has a history of doing that. That's the most important thing because we, we feel that's the situation up front, and it doesn't matter how good the back seven is if the front's not, as everyone knows. Da- <laughs> it who are the, matter okay, the guys like is. Dalen Hayes and Andrew Trombetti who are better served up in two-point as opposed to three-point, you'll see a ton of that. And whoever else fits that role best. Yeah, no, I think that's fine. They'll he'll figure out a way to make something out of what Notre Dame has personnel and, and maximize that. Who J N D fan with Paul Longo being a special assistant to BK? How hard is it going to be to keep him out of the weight room and out of the way? I fear not much will change. Much will change in strength and conditioning with him hanging around and quote unquote assisting Brian Kelly. What does a special assistant do anyway? As- Pete has mentioned a few times, Bob Elliott as a special assistant was absolutely crucial in 2015, not only because of his research on uh, triple options and how to stop them. Obviously, his knowledge of defense of 35 years helped him a little bit there, but running the scout team, that that is on that is in-season practice stuff. I do wonder, I don't understand what a special assistant can do, and I've asked the question um, off-season, because you wouldn't think he'd be allowed to be involved in the strength and conditioning mix, otherwise... You make all your best veteran coaches your special assistants, put them in there, and that is a very valuable weapon to have in your off-season conditioning. So I assume they're not allowed in there. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but Tim, you have a pretty strong feeling on well, what won't happen. I here. do because I think the scenario that's painted by the question is is inaccurate. I don't. I don't think. First of all, Paul Longo is not in. And Pete, you probably disagree with this because you were concerned about him sticking around anyway. But I mean, Paul Longo is not this overbearing personality. I, I, I don't I don't think he'll be in a weight room because that's not his role anymore. Uh, and, and I don't think it will be difficult to keep him out or to allow Matt Bayless to do his job. That's not who Paul Longo is. That's not what his role will be anymore. Um, you know, special assistant, look, there are a million moving parts within a football program. And first and foremost, I mean, he will be a confidant to Brian Kelly more than he will be anything affiliated with the strength and conditioning program anymore. That aspect of his career, at least as it pertains to Notre Dame, is over. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't. I don't think he's going to get in the way or try to muck things. I mean, what? Like, what is he going to do? Like, Longo's not he's, like he's that. That's not because ultimately, if he does that, what happens? His best friend gets fired. Like, that's not great. So, like, he'll. I think he he'll, he has a new role, and he'll be able to fill it, whatever that is. That may just be confident to Brian Kelly. And Bouncing that's, ideas that's, off of him. That's fine. Um, but, yeah, he's not going to be in the weight room saying, like, oh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do the bench today. <laughs> like, that's not what's going to happen. JPF505, based on the projected staff, where does his new staff rank compared to Kelly's other staffs? You probably ranked them, right? No, I did not. The only thing I'm interested in is where does it compare to the one that they just had? And I think, um, you know, let's do a quick rundown. Tommy Reese is a, I mean, that's a step back in terms of experience and and recruiting and what have you. Denson's retained. uh, Dell Alexander... Is Mike was Mike Denbrock a better recruiter than Alexander? I, I mean, maybe. I don't. I don't know. I don't I know. I think having they, Mike Denbrock on staff as a coach 
an offensive coordinator who's worked with tight ends and wide receivers. So it's a step. You'll is see. a step back. Okay, now. all it's right, I accept back. that. And yeah. we don't know it's Alexander, but any yeah. new guy coming in around that level. Harry, Harry he stand is is Harry he stand. I think if Mike Elston's a defensive line coach, I personally think that's a step back from Keith Gilmore. Um, Clark Lee is probably an improvement at, at, at linebacker or thereabouts. Todd Light, Elko certainly is a step up. <laughs> At defensive coordinator and Pullian's a step up, and Pullian's a, a I think a st- significant step up in special teams. Now that's just talking about coaching on the field. I like Elston as a linebacker coach, though. Well, they did a good job. I mean, that's I, I mean, the yeah, linebackers yeah, developed good, last year, right? Job last year, he really developed. Him but last that's year. probably not going to be his role, right? So, no, but I'm saying that that is a, almost a double minus. Well, but Clark Lee's yeah. a sure, Clark Lee sure. is a is a well respected linebackers coach. I don't know that any of us know a ton about him no. right now. He's he's also Elko's guy, so that helps a lot because you need some right. continuity in your life. Right? Yeah, I mean, he yeah. was allegedly allowed to pick his own staff, yeah. and you know, at least he picked one guy. Pete, um, your, your perspective on that? I don't know if you compared to previous. I, I only care about the last one. That's yeah, the only one that matters. I mean, is it better? I don't. I don't know. I, I think it's comparable. Um, I don't think it's that much different. Um, you know, the the big one, Matt Bayless is a lot different right. than Paul Longo. I think that's a big change. But the other ones I think are are Look, fine. I'm glad that My, you said different and not better, because we do not know. Yeah, we don't. We that's did not like, have a problem with Paul Longo other until that, other people told us there's a problem with wait Paul a minute. Longo. There is a significant advantage of defensive coordinator. There's oh, yeah, I was kidding with you. Yeah. Yeah. That so yeah. that that alone the that yeah. alone yes. is really, really significant. Oh yeah, and no, special yeah, teams. Sure. Well, you're going back to Vic Gorder too, right? Well, I'm, okay. I'm talking this. Yeah. Two of the three major yeah. positions, actually, three of the four, if you include strength and conditioning, Elk over Van Gorder, Pullian over uh, Booker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I. I don't. The, the, I think saying looking at special teams like that's pulling over nothing, opposed to pulling over Booker yeah. because they didn't even have a special teams coordinator. <laughs> No, he, his job was, but not only <laughs> that. His job didn't exist. Yeah, it's not even, he was also a special teams coordinator with tight ends coach. That's yeah. not the same as being, his whole life is recruiting yeah. the special teams right now. So, but it's like, again, is it, how much do you factor in Mike Sanford to Tommy Reese? Like, that's, that's significant too, uh, because Mike Sanford took a player who was terrible right. in the spring game and turned him into yeah. an early NFL draft pick. He was so, terrible too. So <laughs> I give a lot of that to Kaiser. Oh, Kaiser's of course, just of course Kaiser. but still, that's He's still a, impressive. No, I know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. you, you know, I'm the first one to say that it's never one factor; it's a million factors. Right. With the development of the player, it's the coach, it's the player, it's a, a, a lot of different things. I'm not undervaluing the loss of of Sanford. I mean, Sanford's an excellent football coach. Yeah, Mike Sanford wasn't going to make Andrew Hendricks into the first pick of the draft, or first-round draft pick, but he made Deshaun Kaiser, who did not... That that was la- that would be a laughable comment by a Notre Dame fan to say Deshaun Kaiser, before the throw against Virginia, would ever be an NFL draft pick of any yes. type. Let alone, Let alone first round, potential first, potential round, first round. So you got to give some credit. To so is, is a staff better at defense coordinator? Yes. Special teams? Yes. The other positions? I I don't know. Um, would you qu- say quarterback would, is would, no? Would you say strength and conditioning? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's for sure. those three. Yeah. Well, that's the three <laughs> major areas. Incredibly, yeah. We just don't. It, it ha- but we're saying it has to be better strength and conditioning because they were terrible in November of the fourth quarter last yeah. year. But yeah. They didn't used to be. 
So it's just one of those things. It's hard for me to know until it's like an after the fact. Hey, they were better at strength and conditioning yeah. because they so won the fourth quarter. At the very they... least, you know that the strength and conditioning will be more progressive, and I'm... more up up to date. Would you agree with yes. that? Yes, I yeah, promise I you. The defensive that, coordinator is better than the one that started last year. Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> I have, that's that's analysis right there too. I can tell you that <laughs> Irish Irish <laughs> way to dig deep. Irish Bob, compare the culture of the basketball program to that of the football program. What lessons could Kelly learn from Bray? Well, I mean, I, I think this is an interesting question. It also glosses over the fact that people wanted Mike Brady to be out of here five years ago when they were never winning in the tournament and just three years ago, three years ago, yeah, okay. he was a lo- losing coach. He lost. Um, he was so, I, I'm not sure. There's there are lessons that for sure that Brian Kelly can learn from Mike Bray, but some of them is the fact that you keep just hammering away and then you. Maybe make it change of strength and conditioning or like bring in some new ideas, um, change up your recruiting a little bit. But look, that's all those things have worked for Mike Bray. And then here you are, you've got a team that's, you know, back to back elite eight. But I'm not sure there's like, oh, Brian Kelly should go out for beers with Mike Bray and like, tell me your secrets. Like, it's not like that. Uh, it mean, Mike Bray's, this was his 700th game. <laughs> This is just oh, this just happened. Um, He's been working at it for a long time. Brian Kelly's been working at it for a long time. Last year was a disaster here for Brian Kelly, and Mike Bray's had some disastrous seasons too. You know what Mike Bray did that Brian Kelly didn't do over the last three years? Got a lot better players than he used to have because Jaron Grant is the best guard at Notre Dame since at least David Rivers. Pat Connaughton is the best captain and complimentary player maybe they've ever had. Zach August is the best offensive big man they've had since <laughs> Troy Murphy. Demetrius Jackson was a great point guard. Matt Farrell is a great point guard. Steve Vastoria is the ultimate winner. And that's what he's had, as opposed to other guys. I'm not going to disparage the players they used to have that were low-level NCAA qualifying players. But those guys are the best players Bray has ever had, and mentally the toughest, too. Obviously, it's obviously it's Apple. You can't you can't compare football programs with basketball programs. It's the, the there's so much emphasis on football and so much pressure compared to Notre Dame basketball that you can't compare the two. Plus, I mean, is there another personality like Mike Bray? No, there, no. there just is not. He is he's just one of a kind in terms of being able to deal with. And not that there isn't pressure, dealing with the pressure. Keeping everything in perspective, maximizing three and marginal four-star talent. He wouldn't coach. He would. He doesn't recruit five-star talent. One because he can't get most of it. Two because they wouldn't buy into his yeah. unselfish system. So very difficult to make those you know comparisons because football. The emphasis on football is so outrageous and so outsized compared to basketball. It's just very difficult. Football is like, imagine if Notre Dame basketball only was playing NCAA tournament games. And an entire (laughs) schedule of NCAA tournament games. Because that's what football has to do. Like, and it's not even that. It's also like in recruiting is the, has the emphasis of the NCAA tournament. Spring practice has the emphasis of the NCAA. It's, it is ridiculous how much pressure there is on football every single day. Whereas basketball yeah, a couple days here or there. I mean, they're a great product, and they're Mike Ray product. does an awesome job. Um, but that is—it's not apples to oranges. It's not—it's like apples to spaceships. It's but 
on that note, for a boring look inside our lives, pre-podcast, what were we talking about? How are we going to handle the NCAA tournament if it's the Sweet 16 Elite Eight versus spring practice at IMG Academy right, and what's right, going right, on? I mean, that's how important Notre Dame football is to everyone. Yeah. And that's... But, well, but, but I'm here to world. tell you. I, I know what you're I'm here, <laughs> I'm here to tell you, if they're going back to the Elite Eight, I will be at that. <laughs> Oh, there's a lot of reps you got to catch in the spring, man. There's well, no, and I don't, I, and I, believe me, I don't want to miss those because these are more interesting and more important than ever before. However, <laughs> all right, CPU 15, who, if anybody, is next to commit? Well, they've really expanded their recruiting board in the last couple weeks. Um, you know, there's, there's really six defensive linemen. Um, well, five defensive linemen could be added to the master list just in the last week. Um, you know, it, some more interesting than others. Kendrick Green is a guy they offered just last night. Uh, he's a defensive tackle from Peoria, Illinois. He's committed to Illinois. Uh, I think he's listed as an offensive guard on a lot, at a, a lot of places. But um, he's pretty interesting. Jalen Harris is a defensive end from Arizona, who's an Arizona commitment they offered. Um, they have Brandon Peely, who's from Alaska, who's a defensive tackle, likely to visit at the end of the month. Um, Myron Tagavioli uh, from Hawaii, likely to visit. Um, then Jaron Cage, who's been hanging around. So there's, they have really expanded their defensive line board. And considering they have some commitments already on, um, and I think some good ones, Ewell, Heinish, um, less so McAllister, but definitely Ewell and Heinish. And that's coming off the class of Hayes, Kareem, Okwara, and Ogundeje where I think we feel like three of those guys are probably going to hit at least. Um, it really makes you really look at the upperclassmen and think, wow, Notre Dame maybe doesn't have as much there as they need or would want. Um, so they've got to get at least another guy in the defensive line, if not two, and that's on top of one more receiver and one more defensive back, and that would just get you to 21 uh, total commitments. And at that point, they would still have extra space, I think. Elijah Taylor, remember, we left him out last we week. Yes. Another, 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 guy, another guy on the D-line, of course. And Mike and do Treadway and Brandon TSM. Elijah Taylor makes the musings this week, actually. Yeah. Excellent. Teaser. Teaser. <laughs> yeah, so ne- next to commit, I'm not sure I have an answer for you on that one, um, but the January 27th recruiting weekend, I think, will be when all of these guys that Notre Dame is making late pushes for will probably visit. Maybe a little bit on the January 20th weekend as well, but um, still a couple weeks away from that. And I think there will probably be another half dozen new names that pop up on the board too as the staff gets out on the road. Uh, whenever the staff's formalized you know, with Polian and Long and all those guys. So it's, uh, I would think the recruiting news is going to come fast and furious over the next couple weeks. Our last question comes from ND Troy B. This is a good one, too. Give three reasons why Indy wins greater than nine, more than nine games next year. Conversely, three reasons why they will win fewer than nine games next year. I, mm. I mean, I, you know, I think, <laughs> I think it's pretty. I, we, I think it's pretty easy to listen. Actually, yeah. I mean, new defensive coordinator, better defense, more cohesion, more consistency, better tackling. I think that's a realistic expectation. Just the cohesion of the offensive line, the experience together. And special teams improvement. I mean, I think those are three things that you can look at and say you have high expectations that those things will happen. Now, on the negative side, schedules much, at least on paper, and that, and that often changes. Although it really didn't this year, it looked manageable, and it was. Next year is much more difficult. 
My second point would be defensive line impact and playmakers, which is where Elko has to bridge the gap. And then, you know, the power running game and the inability or the refusal to focus in on that when you when you need to win games in the trenches. I think it's a nine-win offense. Um, goes point blank, I think it's a nine-win offense that they can get to that with if you just take that into the ball and go to the other most important part. Special teams, they lost five games on special teams last year. Flat out. Blew the game on special teams in five games. That yep. won't. I don't believe that can happen again. And I think the offensive line, the cohesion of the offensive line, and what we were talking about a little bit the basketball game, and I wrote last week, likely move of bars inside and some serious talent to right tackle there and a redshirt freshman. Uh, I do like the offensive line to be better this year than it was last year. As far as why they would lose, let's start off with the fact that they most often under Brian Kelly don't win nine games. Yeah, I mean, it's fair. Kind of realistic, yeah. right? Three out of seven. Yeah, three out of seven. The schedule has ten power conference teams plus Navy, and the the break is a good Miami Ohio team with a coach that is primed and ready for the moment of his career coming in another day. That's your little break is Chuck Martin coming in with Miami Ohio, and the defensive line. If that's your question mark, it's the worst question mark to have. Absolutely on a football. And it doesn't mean they're gonna be bad, but that's your worst question mark. To Absolutely. Have. Yeah, I would say nine wins. The biggest improvement will be special teams. Um, look, if they just had, if their special teams were average last year, they would have gone probably eight and four. Um, so sad. I know they they were that awful on special teams. So just getting that out of the way, I think it gets you flip the record right there. Um, offensively, I agree the offensive line will be much better next year than last year. Uh, in part because I, my theory would. I think our collective theory is Alex Bars will move inside, and then it'll be between Eichenberg and Kramer at right tackle to take over that position. Um, so I think that's a positive. Uh, I've written a bunch about how Brian Kelly does better with less experienced quarterbacks than more because they're forced to run the ball and not sort of get overly complicated. That helps. I think the schedule, while it, you can say 10 power conference teams and, wow, look at all these teams that went to bowls. Eight of them are going to have brand new starting quarterbacks. Uh, I'm trying. How many of them are going to have new head coaches? I think maybe only one uh, in Temple, which is the opener. Um, but I mean, outside of Sam Darnold, the quarterbacks are not good on this on this schedule. Um, so, and I think that Mike Elko is just that's an automatic improvement. I, I just I don't know how that couldn't be a big boost so I, I would say that nine games is look nine games is the minimum anyway but I I I, I see way more reasons why they're going to win nine games than not yeah, I would agree uh, with that. Um, but I, I agree that if they have a couple injuries on the defensive line they're going to be in trouble my final schedule thought is and this is a huge problem in the last four years is they have five true road games and they don't win on the road yeah that's well, that's going to that's going to you're. I mean, you're absolutely right. That's something that has to be reversed. I will say, you know, Elko's knowledge of of ACC teams oh, and yeah, actually plying his trade really against, against that group certainly helps. We said about we talked about this before we went on the air. Mitch Trubisky is turning pro. Elijah Hood has also uh, has already turned pro. As I've gone through and looked at who's going to be drafted and who are the prospects from Notre Dame's upcoming opponents. North Carolina has lost a will be losing or has lost a ton of veteran players from last year's team. So there's, I mean, that's just one team. Nordham has to go on the road. That's a great trip, by the way. Did you make that trip? You didn't make that trip to Chapel Hill against North Carolina. Yeah, that was my uh, bachelor party weekend. 
Really? I wasn't covering Notre Dame yet. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a, you're gonna you're gonna like going to that. So, Brad Kaya's out of Miami. Weekend, Brad Kaya has turned pro as well. Uh, Solomon Thomas and Christian McCaffrey at Stanford. Juju Smith. I don't know if Odori Jackson has announced yet. He's got to go. Right? Uh, he's got to go. go. Damian go. Mama announced last week that yeah. he's going. Um, a lot of guys turning pro. I know, like Georgia is sort of the anomaly. They have everybody coming back. Um, it seems like pretty much everyone at Georgia decided to return. But Malik McDowell, Michigan State went pro. Uh, is it Demonte Thomas or I, I'm blanking on the their their top defensive back turned pro mm-hmm. as well at Michigan State. Um, Look, a lot of a lot of teams lost a lot of talent, uh, and it, it's a, it's going to be eight new quarterbacks at a minimum. The real interesting thing about that is it was nine or ten new quarterbacks last year, but we did yeah. not think as positively because you Brian we didn't have faith in the defensive coordinator yeah. to, to take advantage of it. Right. Um, you would assume that a new defensive. But I mean, Mike think Elko about can. think yeah. about that, and I don't know who said it, but it was like, yeah, why didn't I bring that up? It's just. Mike Elko's experience coaching against no, these, yeah, that's a great these point. programs that's, and that's offenses is a significant. That's half your schedule. Throw Temple in there too, because that's who they beat in the right. whole game. Yeah. Right. So and they should kill Wake now. So let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, see, he will actually know all the plays <laughs> legally. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for the latest edition of Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by IrishIllustrated.com. We'll be back next Monday with our next podcast. So until then, enjoy the national title game, everyone, tonight. I'm Pete Sampson. 